0: Welcome to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Dr. Rutland is a world-renowned leadership expert. He is a New York Times best-selling author, and he has served as the president of two universities. The Leader's Notebook is brought to you by Global Servants. For more information about Global Servants, please visit our website, globalservants.org. Here is your host, Dr. Mark Rutland.
1: Well, uh, this is the second in a series of uh theological messages. I, I, I urged you last Wednesday night not to be afraid of the word theology, that uh, it just means what we believe to be true about God and about the things of God. And, uh, and that a lot of times we think theology is a bad word sometimes in the broader evangelical community and unfortunately in the spirit-filled community. We tend to kind of say, I heard people say all the time, oh, don't preach doctrine to me. Don't preach doctrine to me. The only problem is, see, the New Testament says, preach sound doctrine. (laughs) Apart from that, not preaching doctrine is a great idea. So uh, I'm dealing with a series of theological issues, most of them relative to the character and nature of God. In the light of these uh, or in the context of these messages, I've done something which I've never done in sermons before. I'm just not a very... Um, I don't know how to say it. I don't use a lot of props and things in sermons. I'm just a preacher. But for each of these uh, messages, I've written little skits that deal with encounters, meetings with God in order to illumine certain misapprehensions from which people inside, even inside the body of Christ, suffer relative to the nature of God. Uh, These skits are all being performed by David and Joshua. They did a great job with the one last week. And will you please thank them for it? One on last week, I I, I just want to say this. Every preacher, everybody who's ever preached, will you please raise your hand? Everyone, it's Brian, the others, okay. Look up here at Dr. Mark. There are just those moments where you have this sermon, and here and here, it is brilliant. Here, I'm not the only preacher in the world that's ever trotted out a dog, but last week that one began to bark about five minutes into the message. And you ever get, you know what I'm saying, Brian, don't you ever get in the middle of a sermon and you just want to say to people, I'm sorry. So. In case you left last week saying to one another, what do you think he meant? Um, Let me just uh, clarify that quickly, and then we'll get on to this. We're dealing with the issue of the holiness of God. The meeting that we dealt with last week was the meeting between God and Moses, God in the personification of the burning bush and Moses. And God says to Moses, go down to Egypt and tell the people to follow you and tell Pharaoh to let the people go. And Moses says, when I go into the people of Israel and shall say unto them, the God of your fathers that sent me unto you, they will say, what is his name? And God answers, I am that I am. Thus shall thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto thee. In other words, God's holiness is the integrity of his own being. God is never one thing and then another. He is not a the schizophrenic God. Sometimes we're afraid that if we call up, will God be in a good mood or a bad mood? We project onto him sometimes what we're feeling. If we're down and discouraged, we think God is depressed, but God is who he is. He's never I was. He's never I will be. He is all together himself. He is holy. He is a holy God, but his holiness is not what separates us from him. His holiness is what makes us know that when we approach him, we will not find a monster. We will not find a jealous, capricious, whimsical, changeable, psychotic demon. We will find a holy God. He will always be himself. And then we close by saying this, if God is holy... That means that he's always the same. But what is that? What is that? If God is always holy, what does it mean? 1 John tells us, God is love. Therefore, from the brow of Mount Sinai itself, I am is God, is I am, is love, is I am, is holiness, is God. God is I am Love. Always love. Now, what separates us from God is not His holiness. It's our sin. So that brings us to the second issue in this theological journey. And that is, what about, what about us? If God is always holy, what about us? If you have your Bibles, if you'll take those and turn to the gospel according to Luke, the 11th chapter. I want to begin reading with verse 14. Luke 11 and 14. And he, now that he is Jesus, of course, and he was casting out a devil and it was dumb, mute, in other words. In other words, there was a person who was demonically possessed and that possession manifested itself as an inability to speak. And it came to pass when the devil was gone out that the dumb spake and the people wondered But some of them said, he casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And others, tempting Jesus, sought of him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. A house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out devils through Beelzebub. Now pause right there. Jesus is refuting them with simple logic. If Satan has possessed this boy, why would Satan deliver him? So Jesus says, look, if I'm using satanic power to cast myself out, we don't have to do anything to resist the devil. He's, his house is divided. He's already in rebellion. He's going to fall. But look at verse 19. But if I... By Beelzebub cast out devils. By whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. Again, pause right there. He says to them, you claim that I cast him out with Beelzebub. It doesn't make sense that I would, but let's suppose for a moment that I did. At least he's free. And now he speaks to the, to the religious leadership." By whom do your sons, your ilk, your disciples, your followers, by whom do they cast out demons? Some commentaries say that Jesus is talking about vagabond Jewish exorcists that go around casting out demons. I don't believe that for a moment. I think he is saying, if I used Satan to set this boy free, at least he's free by whom do your followers set demon-possessed free, people free? The answer is they can't do it at all. Therefore, he says, they shall be your judge. Their impotence convicts you that your accusation of me is out and out blasphemy. Verse 19, if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. But, now here's verse 20. Here's the key verse. But if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of heaven is come upon you. Let's pray. If you'll put your hands on your Bible and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you that in the next few moments your Holy Spirit will overwhelm our every resistance, burst through every locked door, enter into the chambered nautilus of our souls, into the last and deepest cell. And may we there hear from you. Save us and we shall be saved. Heal us and we shall be healed. In the mighty name, Jesus, the strong son of God. Amen. Amen and amen. In verse 20, Jesus uses, it is translated here in English, of course, from a Greek Bible, but Jesus was neither speaking English nor Greek. He would have been speaking Aramaic or Hebrew, but he uses an Hebrew idiomatic expression. He says, if I, by the finger of God, in Spanish, el dedo de Dios, if I, by the finger of God, have cast these demons out, then the kingdom of heaven has come upon you. It is a powerful passage, but it it loses some of its punch in the translation into English. Because the finger of God is not an original statement with Jesus. It is a Hebrew idiomatic expression that stretches all the way back to Exodus. And it means the Holy Spirit. It is used previously in this way. The law that was written in stone on Mount Sinai was written by the finger of God. So the, the finger of God writes the law. So Jesus says, in other words, if I have done this by the spirit of holiness, which wrote the law on Mount Sinai, then the kingdom of heaven has come upon you now the second part of that is startling because again in english it it sounds positive almost the kingdom of heaven has come to you has come for you but that's not what it means has come upon you in the, in, in english it doesn't sound, it sounds almost positive but it it means this if you say the criminal was hiding in the in the bushes and the cops came upon him that's what it means. If I have done this by the finger of God that wrote the law on Mount Sinai, that wrote in the, in the walls of the, of the, of the palace of Belshazzar and said, you have been judged and found wanting in the balance. If I'm doing this by that same finger, the same finger of God, if you remember when the magicians tried to turn the dust into lice in Pharaoh's palace, they said, we can't do this. We don't have the power to do this. Some of the things we could do, they turned their staff into snake. Moses' staff, Aaron's staff ate theirs. But when it came to turning the dust into, into, into lice, they said to Pharaoh, we can't do this because this is the finger of God. In other words, Jesus says, if I cast this boy out, by the power of the spirit of holiness that writes the law of God, then it is manifestly obvious that the kingdom of God has apprehended you. You have been found out. It's kind of, can I just put it in modern American English? If this is the finger of God, You have just been busted by the Holy Ghost. Now that's what he says. It is a a powerful, powerful statement. Now, our problem theologically is this. We, We get concerned. We begin to see God mistakenly. We begin to think about the law of God. And we think of God as a legalist, a, a kind of a a kind of a cosmic cop up in heaven waiting for us to do something wrong. So we get this fearful feeling that the law of God, the finger of God that wrote the law stands against us and that he's just waiting for us to do something wrong.
0: Oh, hello. Uh, are you God? Yep. To be exact, I am the Cosmic Referee. Now, are you ready? Because it is almost time for the tip-off. What Uh, tip-off? Three, two, one. All right, let's go. Uh, Okay, well, um, I've been sort of going through a tough time. And I came here because I was needing some... Offsides, number 24. Offsides? Offsides? Yeah, I didn't tell you that you can move. You're supposed to wait on my signal. Okay, you were off sides. Five-year penalty. Repeat first down. Five years? Now, uh, what do you want? Well, I I, I was just going through a tough time, and I was just... Personal foul. Number 24, started prayer by talking about self instead of praising cosmic referee. Two-year penalty plus the loss of one prayer. Look, I I don't know all these rules. Uh, I just... Personal foul. Ignorance of heaven's rules. (laughs) Ten-year penalty. Wait, just a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, 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 Technical. Technical foul. Technical foul. What? That's right. You heard me. Technical foul. What what did I do? You told the cosmic referee what to do. You don't do that. What? When did I do that? You said, wait a minute, okay? I heard you. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said, wait a minute, I heard you. Uh, 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 Look. Wait, wait, what do you have to say for yourself? Uh, uh? This is is terrible. Technical, not knowing what to say in the presence of the cosmic referee. Technical. That's two technicals. You're out of here, mister. Two technicals. Are you kidding? I never kid. Hit the showers, buster. You're out of here. I just... I just, I just wanted some help. I love my job.
1: So here's the dilemma that we face. In the ministry of Jesus in Luke chapter 11, he says he sets this demon-possessed person free by the finger of God. But if the finger of God writes the law, then is the house of God as divided as he says the house of Satan is? Can God bind us up with the law and then set us free by the same power that writes the law? The question then is, we have a clear theology of the holiness of God. God is holy is I am his love. But what about holiness in the life of the believer? Can the power of holiness Also set us free the same power that writes the law. So in the conversation between Moses and God, we didn't read it last week, but further on in the conversation, God says to Moses, when thou shalt come unto the children of Israel, say unto them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Am I the only one? Or does that feel a little unfair? I want to say, sure, you're holy. You're God. I live in Georgia. (laughs) The problem is this. You can say anything wrongly. If you put the emphasis on the wrong syllable, any word sounds funny. So let's just suppose, let's just suppose, Slim, if this is a class, if you don't mind, this is a class. I'm the professor, first day of class. It's an upper division math class, Boolean algebra at some high class institution. And I walk in the first day of class and I look down at you and I say, you shall make an A. You shall make an A because I'm the teacher. You shall make an A. I don't know about you. But that's where I just gather up my books and head straight to the drop ad counter. (laughs) Say to the nice lady there, I'd like a course in something like basket weaving. (laughs) And a professor who's not a psychotic, please. But let's suppose it's the same class, same class, same course, same professor. And he says the same thing on the first day of class. And he says, look up here. I know you're nervous. It's your first day in an upper division math class but look at me. You shall make an A. You shall make an A, for I am the greatest math teacher that's ever lived, and you shall make an A. That's when I say, yeah. (laughs) I'm a major in math. You see, if God says, you shall be holy for I the Lord your God am holy. Then we find out, we begin to visualize God as the cosmic referee, just peering into our, into the action of our lives, with the with the whistle at his lips and the yellow flag on his hip. Just waiting for us to do something wrong. I, I remember I played high school basketball, you know, right at the end of the Civil War, and it was a it was an exciting time really to be on the court. And, But there was one referee, I played in a a county, Carroll County, uh, Maryland, and I I remember there was one referee. Everybody just hated him because no matter what he called, he didn't just call the foul, personal foul. He would point his finger at you and yell, I saw that. (laughs) You you wanted to choke him to death. Is, Is that your God? Because if that's your God, your God is my devil. He's not leaning over the parapet of heaven, looking at you and screaming, I saw that. He's saying to you, look, I want to write the law in your innermost being. I shall no more write the law in tables of stone, but I will write the law in the hearts of you, in the flesh of you, in the spirit of you. I will write the law in you. So that the holiness of God, Romans chapter one, the spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of holiness that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, that spirit of holiness is not the spirit of law and bondage and death and accusation. It is the spirit of resurrection and life and newness of life. This, please do not hear this as saying that God doesn't care how we live. He says, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. At a, at a previous university where I served as a president, a kid came to me with this same verse of scripture. And he said, Mr. President, look at this verse. It says, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. He said, I don't understand. Is this, is this a command or a promise? And I said, yes. You're finally getting it. Yes, it is a command. But he will never command you to that which is beyond your capacity to find it apart from his grace to provide it. What does Zechariah chapter four say? It's not by might. It's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, he says, I am holy You shall be holy, you will have the law, but the law will not hang over you like the sword of Damocles. We don't live our whole lives just terrified, the monophyllum, and will snap, and down comes the sword. If we resort to putting ourselves under the law, then we must obey the whole law in its entirety, and no one can do that by his own strength, and therefore the law will fall on you and crush you to a powder. One is desperately dangerous living, the living of an outlaw. The other is desperately destructive living, which is the living of a legalist, believing that he can obey the law in himself. What then is the answer? He says, I, the Holy Spirit is the finger of God and the finger of God always does the same thing. He writes the law, but the law within you becomes the law of liberty becomes the law of change, becomes the law of transformation. And that same interaction between God and Moses, God says to Moses, after he commands him to go down into Egypt, take the people out, confront Pharaoh, all alone, 80-year-old man with nothing but a staff and his brother, just, you know, topple the Egyptian empire. That's all I'm asking. And then Moses starts away and God says, oh, wait a minute, one more thing. He says, put now thy hand into thy bosom. In other words, put your hand in your shirt front. Put now thy hand into thy bosom. He says, now pluck it out. Moses draws his hand out, and who remembers? It was what? Leprous, covered with leprosy. (laughs) That must have been a wonderful moment for Moses. So this is great. Disrupt my life at the age of 80. Summon me into Egypt with a price on my head. Tell me to lead two and a half million stiff-necked rebels into the wilderness where there's no food and give me leprosy. What a good God. And then God says, now put thy hand yet again into thy bosom and draw it out. And this time it's what? Clean. I don't know all that God was saying to Moses in that meeting. But at least among the things that he was saying, he must have been saying this. You cannot change your heart with your hands. Your heart changes your hands. The condition of your heart will sooner or later work itself to the extremities of your life. So God says, I don't want to be the cosmic referee in your life. I don't want to be screaming at you. I saw that. What I want to do is change you. What I want to do is write the law inside of you. I was preaching at a Methodist church in this very state some years ago, and I was preaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it was a men's group on Saturday morning. I've been preaching through the week on the baptism of the Spirit, and it was stirring up some controversy. Saturday morning was the men's thing. And the men were kind of confronting me a little bit. And there was an elderly man there. And he spoke up and he said, now I got something I want to say. He said, I know exactly what this young man's talking about because I experienced it. He said, 35 years ago, I experienced it. And he said, it set me free. He said, I'm the freest man in Cartersville, Georgia. He said, I can do anything I like. And they jumped him. They said, now, Mr. Frank, are you saying you can do anything you like and remain a Christian? He said, since I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I can do anything I like. I'm absolutely free in God. They said, well, we just don't believe that. You can't just do anything you like. He said, I can do anything I like. He said, it's just that 35 years ago at the Indian Springs camp meeting, God changed my liker. He said, I can do anything I like. I just don't like that stuff anymore. So, so here's the thing. We talk about the holiness of God, and that's not to make us apprehensive. It's to make us know that God is dependable and approachable, that he loves us. He's holy. What what if, what if tonight somebody came in, never been in a church, didn't know anything about God, this totally and completely. And they came up here and came to Pastor Tracy and me and said, look, I, I want to get saved. I I want to give my life to the Lord. We said, well, we don't know. You know, we don't, you never know with God. Just sit down here. We'll go up on the platform in the Holy of Holies and we'll send up a few trial petitions. If it looks like God's in a good mood, We'll clap our hands three times. You come up and we'll ask him. Who knows? Maybe he'll forgive you. But if it looks like God's got a grouch on, stomp my feet three times, you run home and get under your bed because God's going to kill you, sucker. <laughs> no. The holiness of God is what underpins every promise of God. When God says, if any man, any man, anyone will confess his sins, God is faithful, and just to forgive him and cleanse him of all unrighteousness. How can I know that I can say that to anybody from, from the halls of Congress to, the, to a prison cell, which is not all that wide of a gap all the time, but... but But I can say that to anybody, anywhere, anytime, and know that that promise is not going anywhere because God is I am is holy. The holiness of God is what makes me know that when I enter his presence, I find God. But then God says, now when I enter into you, what I want to do is a work of transforming grace. Look, I, I, I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I preach the baptism. I believe in the gifts, all the gifts. They're all real, and they're all real for today. They're all real for today. I believe that. But listen to me. If you seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit only for gifts, That's like putting electricity in your house because you think the switch plates are pretty. The real reason for the baptism of the Holy Spirit is sanctifying grace. In other words, to write the law within you, within you. God says, I don't want to lay it on you. I want to create it within you. God says, I want to, I want to change you like her. If I, by the finger of God, have cast out these demons. In other words, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit that is the spirit of God's holiness that wrote holiness unto the Lord on the tiny little bells on the war horses of the the Jewish warriors. That wrote holiness unto the Lord on the golden laver in the temple that wrote holiness under the Lord on the, on the stones on Mount Sinai. Imagine as Moses held those stones and the finger of God came through. Holiness. Now he says, present to me your heart, not a table of stone. Hold your heart up to me and the finger of God comes. Holiness. And that is freedom, not bondage.
0: You've been listening to The Leader's Notebook with Dr. Mark Rutland. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review today's podcast. You can follow Dr. Rutland on Twitter at Dr. Mark Rutland or visit his website, drmarkrutland.com. Join us next week for another episode of The Leader's Notebook.